Welcome to the Fearless Year podcast. Where we're dedicated to helping ourselves. And you along with us. Break our codependent relationship with fear. I am Dr. Rebecca Heiss. And I'm Nathan Robinson. Together, we talk to experts about traits and skills and areas we hope to grow in as leaders of businesses, families, and communities. Skills and traits like creativity. The ability to confront. Empathy. And time management. Your Fearless Year is all about fearing less. And doing more. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Fearless Year. I'm Nathan. And I'm Rebecca. And today we have Todd Duncan with us. Todd, thank you so much for coming on the Fearless Year. You guys are rock stars, Nathan and Rebecca. I can't wait to hang out with you guys for whatever time we have together. It's going to be a blast. We are. We're so, so excited to have Todd. Todd is the world's leading authority on trust. And since we're talking about trust today, I mean, could we get a better guess? I think not. I think not. Um, Todd, there's a million things I could say in your introduction. So instead of doing that, I'm going to let you just tell our audience what they need to know about who you are and what you do. So, yeah, I think the simple truth is we help people change their life experience. It's just that straightforward. That's that's what we do. That's what we were born to do. And what does that mean? We we help people understand the power of, of trust and uh, trust in your yourself, um, trust in your purpose, um, trust in your you know, your, your friends and your family and, and trust in your clients. And, you know, we say all the time that, that trust is the hardest thing to gain. It's the easiest to lose. And it's the most important mm-hmm. thing to hang on to. And what we know about, what we know about that single word is the, the world needs it. Um, some, some people have a desperation around how do I get it back when they've lost it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how do we just stack up all of our moves in life so that we, you know, we have a high trust life and um, it's just it's, a, it's just a powerful word. So we've spent uh, we spent a lot of time just studying trust around the world and st- studying trust in relationships and and, you know, leadership. And yeah, it's just it's a beautiful word. I, I'll spend the rest of my life on that one word. Just like I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we all could spend a, a lot more time with that word. And yeah. since it is such a powerful word, how would you define what trust is? Uh, the simple answer is it's repeated truth. That's it. I mean, trust is repeated truth. And so um, when you make a promise, it is the trust of honoring that promise repeatedly. When you make a change, it is the trust of honoring your own discipline around that repeated change. When you make a, when you make a commitment to a spouse, um, like I'll be home by and you never honor that and months go by, trust is broken. Um it's just repeated truth. It's repeated truth. And there's, you know, trust is a very simple word. And um, at, at one end, you have the highest level of trust. And on the other end, you have the lowest level, which is no trust. And so the goal in life is to understand that if you want things to move forward in a, in a way that is predictable and fulfilling and, and honoring, you have to realize that the higher the trust, the less the tension. And what trust does is it pushes out tension, which can be everything from um, a spouse, you know, having a break in trust with you to um, a employee having a break in trust or a leader having a break in trust or a client having a break in trust. And or even if we're trying to approach something for the first time, there's always going to be tension. New relationships always create both uh, both kind of tension. And on the other side is like, do I like this person? Is there chemistry? And if chemistry is, whether it's business or, you know, or, or that human kind of chemistry, when we meet somebody, 
friend or, or, you know, or, or opposite sex or we're getting married or whatever. It doesn't matter when we have that, then relationship gets more effortless. And I think what ends up happening so often is we work so hard at relationships because trust has not been optimized and there's been stuff that breaks trust. And uh, that's why I said, it's the hardest thing to gain. It's the easiest to lose and it's the most important to hold on to. So repeated truth. Yeah, that's a really powerful, simple definition. Like I think most powerful definitions are when we can distill something down to just a few words, tuck that away and then and then repeat it, right? Repeat the definition. And the definition is about repeated truth as we as we prove our truth to one another and to ourselves. And it, it made me think back to what you said at the very top of our conversation where you said, you know, it's about trusting yourself, trusting your colleagues, trusting the, the people around you. There are all these different spheres, but it all comes down to the repeated truth of what you see day in and day out and time after time. Well, it's, you know, and, and, and the whole idea, Nathan and Rebecca, is like um, accountability. I mean, that's all it is, is accountability and reliability that if somebody doesn't trust themselves when they look in the mirror, they are not going to do the things that create more trust. It's like a yeah. salesperson in a slump. You can't trust your way out of the slump. You got to act your way out of the slump. And when you act your way out of the slump, you trust yourself more, right? When you take yeah. that step. And I think oftentimes people forget that, um, that it is such a simple word, but it is the most powerful word there is. And it's what's really crazy is um, you can spend years creating trust and a minute breaking it. And the minute breaking it can undo all the good of the 10 years creating it. I mean, it's that powerful. Yeah. Right. And I mean, to me, one of the things I don't think we spend enough time uh, sort of digging into is how easy it is to not trust yourself. Mm. Right. Like I'm sitting here going, how do you not trust yourself? You know you. Right. You know who you are. You know. But are you accountable to you? Do you follow your own promises to yourself? Do you keep that? And so if you don't trust yourself, how can you expect others to trust you or have deepening relationships you around can't. trust? You can't. Yeah, it is. It, it's, yeah. No, it's, it's actually impossible. And, and, you know, when you think about, um, when you think about the idea of connection, right. And we think about, um, human beings thrive on needing and wanting connection. And you think about the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror, and you think about, you know, what do you look at and what do you actually see when you look in the mirror? And if you see um, a break in trust, which can be everything from simply making a promise you were going to do something and then not honoring your own promise to you. People don't people when they think trust initially, they think like trust is all about relationships and other that's, people. That's yeah. true. Yeah, other people yeah. out, outward facing <clears throat> the most important trust that you have is trust in yourself. Because if you don't trust yourself, you will never trust or allow trust to happen anywhere else. What's worse is the more that you look in the mirror and your trust in yourself has gone down, then the less likely you are to ever do something that will pave the way for a turnaround. You know, ancient scriptures say that he or she who neglects discipline despises himself or herself. Mm. And that word despise is like a monster psychology word, right? If I look in the mirror and uh, I'm on my 13th day of not working out because I make some rationale as to why I haven't, behind the scenes is each time you look in the mirror, you're feeling less and less good about you. 
And that self-perpetuates. And pretty soon it starts to develop legs like an octopus. And you start to look at all the other areas that, so the job, I think the job that we have just personally is to, to be able to look in the mirror and to be able to say, I'm doing what I need to do. I've done what I've made a promise to myself to do. And every step of the way, when you honor that and something positive happens, I mean, you know this, Rebecca, you know all about oxytocin, serotonin, oh, yeah. endorphins. All the happy hormones. All yeah. The happy, all the happy juice. And, and yeah. you know, happiness is a function of loving yourself. And I'm just going to be straightforward. If you don't love you, it is really impossible to be in love with your clients and your spouse. And because behind the scenes is this just continued layering of self-doubt and ultimately self-doubt leads to, I mean, severe depression, suicide, you know, and, and the life, a life compromised. And so it's, I think it all starts here, right? It starts with, starts with me. (laughs) And then, and then if I can live it out with me, then it's easier to have that with others. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, the, the, the choice is always hard, right? There's always a hard choice to make. Do, the hard choice is, do I let this frontal lobe, what do you call it, the frontal lobe excuse maker? Yeah, the, the prefrontal, prefrontal excuse maker, excuse maker right. right? Like, continue to justify, oh, I didn't do that because, you know, I had a hard week. And now I'm 13 days in, and oh, gosh, well, well now you're, you're letting your frontal lobe actually create patterns that are going to repeat, that are going to deepen, and your level of trust in yourself, as you mentioned, is just going to continue to deflate. Yeah. So. Yeah, we've Todd. Thank you so much for for diving deep right right at the beginning. Uh, we're we're in such good territory already. But I want to rewind and ask you to give a little bit of your pedigree. What's your What's your background? What's the work that you've done in sales and in business that's led you into uh, your writing career, your speaking career, and your conferences? So um, at the age of seven, I I had a little league coach who looked me in the eyes and he said, you can become anything you want to, you want to be. So I had that, you know, that thought from a guy that coached me for, I don't know, ended up being about nine years. I played baseball all the way through high school. And, and, and that was a powerful moment when he told me that when I was 16, my grandmother gave me a book that was entitled success through a positive mental attitude. And, uh, you know, I don't know why I would read that book as a 16 year old. I had it <laughs> my mind, but my grandmother was a force of positivity. And so I read mm. that book. Trusted your grandma. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there was one, th- I, I remember a lot about the book, but one thing I remember, um, distinctly was there was a quote, um, and the quote was, there's very little difference between successful people and unsuccessful people. The little difference, however, makes the big difference. The little difference is added. And the big difference is whether it's positive or not. So at the age of 16, I decided that, you know, that, 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 that lesson at age seven would be my course in life. So I decided that I would choose positivity. And then I grew up in a church that was a, a non-denominational church, but the, the, the pastor of that church was a, you know, hour of power kind of guy, you know, international. And uh, it was all about, you know, your faith in God and, and your faith in yourself and your faith in your future and, and, and choosing positivity. So that was my pedigree. At the age of 17, um, I started a landscaping company and I couldn't handle all the, the stuff myself. And so I built a landscaping company and then I went to college and I was studying medicine and I was failing miserably because my dad was a doctor. And my, my dad said, I'm not going to pay for your tuition anymore if you can't get your GPA up. It was a 1.2. I understand. <laughs> and so um, I tried really hard to bring my 1.2 up and I did. I got it to 1.4. 
And, um, <laughs> and so he said, you know, I need you to come home. And let's, you know, I was out of state. And he said, he said, come on home and let's talk about your future. So I remember being in the driveway with my dad. And my dad said, um, you do not have to study medicine just because I'm a doctor. And it was kind of like I was the first son. I was kind of thinking I got to be about it. And my dad never said, you don't, you don't need to be a doctor. And I said, well, what should I do? And he said, do you remember when you had the Little League uh, Best Salesman um, trophy for selling more candy than any other person? I said, you are an entrepreneur. You set up your candy tables in the middle of the streets so that when people came home from work, they had to stop to get around you and you covered three streets, <laughs> you know, and now the Girl Scouts, what, they go to a store and instead of going yeah. to a yeah. store. So anyway, I had that and, and my dad said, you should go to business school. And so he looked at me in the eyes and said, the three best business schools in California are Stanford, USC and Cal State Fullerton. I'm not paying for SC and not paying for Stanford. Um, you need to go to Cal State Fullerton. So I got a degree in, in business with an emphasis in finance and marketing, and I graduated with a 3.9 on wow. the dean's list in summa cum laude, and it was just like it was in my lane. So that yeah. same, same guy that was my little league coach happened to own the largest independent real estate uh, company on the West Coast, and we went to a family barbecue on July 4th, two months after I graduated from college, and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And he said, you should, go, you should get into the real estate business or the mortgage business, and I got both. <laughs> And I've been watching you since age seven. You'll smash it. So I chose mortgage. And in 12 years, I financed 6,000 real estate transactions. And halfway through that journey, um, I started speaking because people were asking me, can you come into a workshop? Can you come to this and do that? And my own company said, you know, everybody that you're sharing your ideas with is winning. So I answered a calling, and here's the final loop on this in terms of pedigree. Yeah. My, my calling, I don't think, was to be a top-performing mortgage professional. It was when mm. it started, but my next calling was, how do I help everybody in the world achieve what I achieved? And my dad, just to put an exclamation point on this, my dad graduated from Stanford with a degree in accounting, and he decided at the age of 30 that he would be a, become a doctor. He was a CPA. And he decided at 30 to become a doctor and listen to this guy's. He didn't open his medical practice until he was 40. Okay. I'm 34. And now I'm thinking, okay, my dad did this. I can do this. Yeah. So what a I, gift. Started, I started this company um, 27 years ago and our books are in 53 languages. We have 6 million clients uh, around the globe. And uh, all I do is wake up every day and I help people gain trust and win. So it's a blessing. <laughs> I mean, look, CNN calls you what the Tony Robbins of the Morgan industry, right? So th this guy knows his yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, that's really that's powerful. I, I especially what especially resonates with me as someone who is thirty-five, right? So right, right there in that pocket mm -hmm. of of transition that you just described with your dad and with yourself. I'm sort of in the midst. This project that that Rebecca and I are doing is a part of my transition journey, right? Transition. So I started my career with a vision for education for you know to teach young people english and creative writing those kinds of things and it was that and now it has grown into this this place where i want to do good work with interesting people solve solve interesting problems and add value to the people around me and to show my kids you know that they can do that too whatever it looks like so that so anyway all of that to say Thank you for sharing your story and, and for that journey. And to, to everybody listening, just hear this, that your vision and your purpose and, and the reason you're doing what you're doing may change and morph and grow. But being true 
having repeated truth and following your vision, your mission, and your reason for existing is what will lead you into your life's calling. Where, like Todd said, he gets up every day happy to to be doing this one thing, to yeah. be adding value. That's tremendous. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many, there's so many moments there in that story. I love that story so much. There's so many moments where you could have not trusted yourself. You could have not trusted your dad. You could have had your dad not trust you to say, okay, look, you're, you're pulling a 1.2, 1.4, excuse me, 1.4. Like college is not for you. Mm-hmm. you I'm not going to pay for Cal. I'm not going to, like there's so many moments of trust there that if you can latch onto like, okay, this little bit of trust made all the difference. This little bit of trust that I built. Yeah. And let me, let me share something else um, just to put a layer on top of this. <clears throat> there's a lot of reasons why I should not have succeeded. And one of them is my mother. And um, she's 89 today, bless her, bless her. And I love her to pieces, but she grew up in a really messed up family. Mm-hmm. And I was child number one. And the only way she knew how to be a mom was the same way she got mom to dad. And my mom was um, brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a failure from like age 12. I can remember her telling me that I would never amount to anything. And I remember going to a summer camp where you had to qualify to be a worker at the camp. First of all, I never go to summer camp to work. I go to summer camp to have fun. And so she enrolled me in this work program and uh, you had to get up every day at five o'clock. And part of the program was you had to run four miles at altitude. I'm talking 7,000 feet up in the, in the mountains. And I was not in good shape. And, um, and, and I remember at the end of the week, my fear was that I would not make it. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand fear then, but all I know is they called my mom and she had to drive two hours into the mountains to pick me up. And you can imagine what the two hours home was like. And, um, I mean, it's just how she was brought up. And so I had to turn that into power. And I had to, I had to understand that, you know what, and this is as simple as I got, I'm going to prove my mom wrong, mm. you know, and, and I did it, I did it for me, but I did it to prove her wrong. And you know, what's so interesting is that's how she's wired five years ago at Thanksgiving. She got mad at me for cutting the pumpkin pie crooked. And so what I did is I handed her the knife and I said, you cut it. You know, and bless her heart. You know, I love her to death. And, and it's just, it's, but it's just like we, a lot of people that try to become something have a, have an anchor that they've got to work through. And yeah. part of why I'm saying this is I want to give everybody a sense of hope that your, your failure and, and other people's imprinting on you does not have to be your recipe. And it certainly does not have to be your future. Yeah. And today, you know, even though that is her wiring and her DNA, She's super proud of what we've done as a company. And I, you know, I value that. And um, so it's just interesting. You guys know the psychology. There's just like, if she had, if, if I had listened to her, yeah, adopted that as my mindset, there's no, no way I would be where I am today. And there's no way we would have impacted so many people's lives. And uh, yeah, so anyway. It's just personal. That was a moment of, of true personal trust. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how you were able to take that trauma. Frankly, I like when you, when you describe that, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can feel it in my gut. Yeah. Um, and turn it into something so positive. Like what, what was the first step you took in hearing? Like I'm, I'm envisioning you on that two hour car ride home. And like, as you're absorbing all of this, when was that, when was that switch? What was that the little light bulb moment that says, wait a second, this is not who I am. This is not, 
I'm not these words that I'm hearing. I am more, I am bigger. I trust myself to be X. Can you, yeah, can you walk us through that? Yeah, I don't know if there was like a, hmm. you know, like a switch. I mean, I, yeah. all I remember coming home was crying and feeling like an ultimate failure. And, um, you know, I think what ended up happening is I went back to my, um, my grandma on that book that I'd gotten like I don't know, six months earlier and I started reading it again. And, you know, one of the things I remember that that book talked about is you're a miracle and you were designed for greatness. Hmm. And, um, and I remember, you know, I remember that I remember kind of going through, like, I don't have to do this. I don't have to stand up to this. I can tell my mom, I love you, mom, but that's not fair. You can't treat me that way. And I didn't have all that muscle then, but I certainly, you know, had it in, in the years that followed. But I think what ended up happening, Nathan, your question exactly, and, and Rebecca, yours, is this idea that that same guy that hired me out of college is the same guy that told me at age seven, you can do anything you believe in. And I think I went back to screw you, mom. I'm going to be successful. And I think that's, you know, so my motive early on was to prove my mom wrong. But then as soon as I was like super, super accomplished uh, and it didn't take long, it's like, okay, let her do whatever she wants. And again, I'm not, I'm not throwing my mom under the bus. I think all of us. No, there's a release there. Yeah. yeah. We all have stories, you know, and, and, you know, I could, I could easily blame my dad for being passive because he saw that happening, but he didn't do anything about it. And, uh, but I love both my parents and I would not, I would not be where I am right now with the two of you if it had not been for all of that. Right. And I think that's why people need to, to choose uh, hope over you know, despair. I think people need to be hopeful instead of hopeless. Um, you know, you got to hang on. You know, one of the acronyms for hope is hang on, pain ends. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And it's just, I like that. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful tension between uh, the galvanizing effect of, of rejecting what the hand you were dealt in some ways, but also holding space for, for love and for acceptance to still to still have a place in your heart. And I think a lot of times we get it, people can get it twisted. And when they experience trauma, when they experience pain, they they use the galvanizing force of anger, of, uh, you know, Blame, resistance yeah. um, that is, you know, it is fuel, right? It, it will get you down the road, but mm -hmm. it, it's not a fuel. We talked about this with, a, with another guest. It's not a fuel that burns clean, right? right. At some point <clears throat> there's residue if that's all that you're using to fuel yourself. And so thank you for, for that perspective too. Ho again, hopefully those, those of you listening, you know, if you're resonating and going, oh yeah, you know, my mom or my dad or whatever, hear the other side yeah. of the coin yeah. as, as Todd talks about, you know, how much he still loves and respects his parents and says, regardless of what happened, good, bad, and indifferent, that's the foundation on which I had the ability to move forward and to move forward. You did. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Cool. Can you share with us the story from your career? You pick and choose where, right, wherever you want from from the early sort of sales days and your early successes all the way to consulting and speaking and, and coaching and helping others. Uh, what's the story about a client where you used trust or you helped them use trust to make all the difference? Yeah. So, um, I remember, I remember when I was, um, probably a decade into, to doing loans and helping people <clears throat> finance real estate and, you know, achieve the ultimate dream of home ownership. Um, I remember, kind of thinking that I wonder if this is what I'm going to do. I was like, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? And, um, and I, uh, I met a guy named Dennis Waitley, who was, uh, who is, uh, he's in his eighties now, but he's a very powerful communicator. And 
he talked about, you know, really discovering your life purpose and being focused on, on, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. So this whole why movement that, you know, so, mm-hmm. so popular now, I mean, I, I learned about it 30 years ago and I wrote about it in my first book 20 years ago. And, and I got really clear that, okay, if I'm helping people finance real estate and there's 6,000 of them, what would happen if I could influence an industry and have that number be 60 million or 600 million? You know, what, what if I could do something like that? So I, I, I started going down that path. And um, I remember when I, when I started the speaking company, I literally on a Friday went from being a mortgage professional to on a Monday being a professional speaker. So the good news is I had a team and, and they took over the business and, and that was great. But I remember um, the only people that knew me were the people in my zip code and that was it, you know? And so I'm thinking, yep. how am I going to be a professional speaker if the only people who know me are like, you know, 92680. And right. <laughs> um, so what I did is I, I, I met with a, a, a guy that became a, a really great mentor of mine. And, and he said, uh, he said, what you need to do is you need to really understand the power of value. And I said, well, so what does that mean? He said, you're not trying to get hired to speak. You're actually engaging to add value. And so we talked mm-hmm. about that. And I think today it's interesting that in 2000 and plus, whatever it is, right? 2021, 20, 22. Wherever we are. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, bottom, the bottom line is um, the, the elixir to falling prey to competitiveness is value creation. And when you start to look at value creation, you stop looking at competition. And so this mentor said, you know, do what the competition doesn't do, go where they aren't and, and ask questions they don't ask. So I started thinking about, okay, I'm starting a company and, uh, and I don't have any revenue. And so I, I, uh, my wife and I devoted $100,000 to this new enterprise and we made an agreement that if we don't have any revenue, um, by the time the 100,000 runs out, you know, we don't want, we don't want to put more money in. We could, but we don't want right. to put more money in. And so then we would reassess, right? So I had that kind of window. And I remember then my mentor saying that you need to contact 10 companies a day and you got to introduce yourself. And then every seven days, you need to follow up with the 10 from the previous week. And then, you know, every month you're going to have Mondays with 30 calls and you know, and then, you know, two months from now, you're going to have Mondays with 60 calls. And it was just like, wow, I mean, is that what it's going to take? And what he said to me is he said, not only is that what it's going to take, but the more value you add, the faster you'll get to your tipping point. And we know tipping point now uh, with Malcolm Mm -hmm. uh, Gladwell is is a title, but that was said to me as a a 35-year-old entrepreneur. So you're older than you, Nathan, right? And, And so the whole thing was value. And the whole thing was value. The whole thing was value, 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 value. So it took seven months to get the first contract. We had $12,000 left in the account. And the first contract was, I think it was $2,500 for a one-hour keynote. And in the next two months, I generated a million dollars in contracts. And it was all tipping point. It wasn't that you know something happened. It was all that effort, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you one story that answers the question. So one of the, one of the clients that we went after thanked us for the package and said, just so you know, we don't vendor base our sales training. We do it in-house. So I'm saying, that's cool. You know, many of the clients that we talk to have that going on and I appreciate that. Um, Do you see that ever changing? And she said, I don't think it will change. And I said, that's cool. And I said, would you be okay if every three months I sent you something that you would find valuable that you could share with your sales force? 
And the only reason I want to do it is make an impact and add value to your business. And she said, you would do that? And I said, yeah, I would do that. And so she said, that'd be great. And I said, so how many salespeople do you have? And she said, 600. So I said, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. In three months, I'm going to send you something. And just when you get it, just use it, do whatever you want. Okay. So here's the story. So three and a half years later, every, <laughs> every, now listen, every 90 days, I sent her 600 CDs and 600 lesson plans every single quarter. And I said, use it, give it to everybody, right? And I didn't follow up in between every 90 days to say, can we do business yet? I just kept what? Adding, adding, adding value. Adding, adding. And yeah. so here's the, here's the values, you know, fulcrum, right? Here's the seesaw value. And so I'm just doing this, I'm doing this. I'm adding, 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 adding. After the middle of the year, on the third and a half year, a week later, Ginger calls me and she goes, hey, I have good news. And I said, what? She said, Mickey retired today. And I go, wow, because Mickey was her boss. Mm -hmm. Mickey's the guy that said, we don't vendor base our sales training. So Mickey retires. Ginger <laughs> gets promoted. Hey. The first thing she does is change the policy. And she said, effective immediately, I want you to be our sales training company. Wow. So listen, it's, it's better than that. Okay. The first contract <laughs> was $700,000. Three and a half years, 700 grand. And all I did was layer value, layer value, zero call reluctance. I'm just going to help yep. you win. I'm just going to yep. help you win. If I help you win someday in the future, it comes gonna, back. So listen, it's better. This is in 19, <laughs> Come on. Listen, this is in 1995. So guess who we just signed a contract with? That same person. Oh. Who's now at her sixth bank since she did that deal with us. Unbelievable. No, absolutely believable yeah. because yeah. because this is exactly what we're talking about, right? Repeatedly honoring Plus, your truth. Here's my truth. Yeah, here's my Here truth. I want to add value. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Every few months. I'm just adding that. Beautiful. I love that story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. No, and Thank you're you. welcome. And the idea, the idea, it's it's really, it's really powerful. Um, there's there's a scripture that says that um, one man gives freely and gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. The generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And in the modern day world, that's called reciprocity. Yep. Yep. It's so, so true. And I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, it's so true. Home run. You've distilled it so well for us. I'm, I'm curious if there's something our audience might find surprising about trust. I don't know that they're surprising as much as they are validators. Um, a lot of people that we teach find them surprising. I don't, of course, because I mean, I'm always interested in it, but I, I never find it surprising because I know you've lived it. I know the formula, you know, I just right. know the formula. Um, but I will tell you who's surprised. People are surprised that we teach it to. And I'll give you one example. So um, I was just in Colorado last week. We had our elite uh, gathering. I've got 25 people that pay about 50 grand a year to be in this group. So it's very, very high, high thinking, high performance. And um, so one of the guys, we're, do, we're doing a get to know you session. And so one of the guys says this, 
he said, um, seven years ago, before I really understood the high trust methodology, I was working 75 hours a week and I was earning about $500,000 a year and I was exhausted. Mm. <clears throat> and he said to everybody in this group last week, he said, let me tell you what happened last year. Last year, I bought 36 rental properties. I took 20 weeks off and I made $3 million. It's in seven years. So when you ask me, what do we do? We help people change their life experience. We help people fall in love with their life. And so here's a guy that for seven years didn't, didn't, uh, didn't really understand the power of it, but he trusted it. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, if you're working 80 hours a, a, a week and then your spouse is having a hard time with it and you've forgotten your kid's name, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Nothing matters because you're yeah. actually creating distrust. I mean, every time you don't do something that should be part of your relational responsibility and desire, you're breaking trust. That is a very, very cool number. I've got another gal in Oklahoma City who started believing this so strongly. Today, she and her husband, they have five kids. She works two days a week, makes over a million dollars a year, and has five-day weekends. So belief is like, like, like if I tell you to succeed, you got to work 24 seven. People mm-hmm. think 24 seven. Wow. Really? That's all it takes 24 seven. I say, no, it's, <laughs> you're thinking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No. How about 24 hours a week, seven months a year? All it is, is a belief <laughs> window. Yeah. That's all it is. And so people have to believe that this, this ultimate exchange rate, time in money out, you got to understand that's never going to end. You can always mm. make the money out better and you can always make the time in more efficient. Let's, if you have trust, people say yes faster. You don't have to spend a week trying to get to yes. Just spend a day or two creating trust and people say yes like that. Mm. That's huge. Wild. That's huge. I mean, I, I need to sit back and process that. Also, I'm thinking, hmm. Maybe it's time for a career shift. I need to go go hang out with Todd Duncan a little bit more. <laughs> it's, you know what, and learn learn these learn these methods, right? Like I want to work a twenty four. Who doesn't want to work a twenty four hour week? Yeah. That's um that's powerful. And you know what that's all about? That's just all about the value you create. You can work less hours when you create more value per hour. That's what it is. That's what it is. And and trusting yourself that that you have that value within you to get. Yeah, right? I, I don't want anybody to think that you know you might be an employee somewhere. And I'm not. I'm not talking about rejecting that. I'm just. I'm talking about you have to career path your way mm. to your best life and back to purpose and back to why was I born in the first place and what kind of miracle am I? You got to work your way to your career path, <clears throat> and it doesn't matter I, uh, if I'm making forty dollars an hour. I need to create more value for my employer. Because if I create more right. value for my employer, then I'm going to get a raise and I'm going to get advancement. And I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm facing from the company outside any customer interaction, if I add more value, I'm going to be more in demand. You are in demand to the relation of the value you create. No value, no demand. High demand, high value. You've already given us a masterclass in trust. If you could teach us one or two things about trust, like this is the end of the time that we have with you. What do we need to walk away with? Oh, so the first one is your life is a reflection of the questions you ask. It's super simple. You know, if you want a more fulfilling life and a more enriching life, take the spotlight off of you and put it on other people and ask them a question. And if you ask questions, then you create trust. 
if you talk too much about you, it creates tension. And so really get good at asking cool questions. Like I could ask both of you, how could I help you win? I immediately trust you. Oh, you want to help me? Great. Let's, yeah. let's talk. Yeah. I'm um, leaning in. Yeah. And so, so the questions you ask give you knowledge you don't have that position you to add value you've never added. And so selling is really not selling. It's about asking. And you don't have to have any pressure on closing the deal because if I trust you because of the questions you've asked and the things you've shared, then I'll look at you and say, can I sign? Hmm. It's that simple. So it's the questions you ask. Um, and then I think the, the second thing <clears throat> in a masterclass is um, it's, it's really powerful. And I, and I fully realize that, again, our audience spectrum could be really, really wide on your podcast. And, yeah. and, um, and yet it's so real. And, and here's the second thing. If you, if you don't put balance on your business, you will never have, I'm sorry, if you don't put boundaries on your business, you will never have balance in your life. And it's sad to me to watch how many relationships off the job are compromised because of too much stress on the job. And I really feel strongly about this. I feel that, that you know, companies need to lead with personal health. Personal health leads to mental health. Mental health leads to positive workforce um, arrangements, environments. And when people can have a sense of some layer of balance in their life, then they're going to be more productive on the job. And it's like, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter how many hours somebody works. It matters what they do with those hours. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a 40 hour employee, it matters how much value you're creating for your employer and others during those 40 hours. And the more you do that, the more valuable every hour will become and the farther you'll go in life and business. And, um, but a compromised life is a sad life hmm. and, uh, you know, not paying attention. Here's, here's the deal. I'll just say, this is the third one, but it layers into that one. Yeah. Um, ignored priorities will always become more important. hundred percent. You ignore a priority, it will become more important. Can you say more about that? Yeah. Um, I landed in Baltimore uh, right before COVID and I got into a Uber and the Uber driver looked in the mirror and said, so what brings you to town? And I said, uh, I'm actually doing a, a speech for a, a local bank. And he looked in the mirror, he says, so you're one of those motivators? And I said, <laughs> you know, I'd like to think that I motivate, but I'd rather be thought of as somebody who transforms. And he looks in the mirror, he goes, so you need to motivate me. I'm in an Uber car. I've never met. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and Don't I you just, love those? Yeah. So I, go, yeah. So I go, so I go, okay, what's up? And he said, I'm depressed. And I said, why are you depressed? He said, I've been trying to lose weight for six months. And every time I get on the scale on Saturdays, it's never good. And I'm depressed. And I said, that's the problem. He said, what depression? I said, no, depression is the outcome of you following a flawed recipe. He goes, what's that mean? I said, well, you weigh on Saturdays and you never have good results, right? He goes, right. I said, okay, so what would happen if you changed the formula? He goes, what does that mean? I said, what is your morning routine? He said, I don't have one. 
And I said, what do you eat for breakfast? And he goes to Dunkin' Donuts. So you know, donuts and a latte, you know, it's probably 3000 calorie breakfast. And I said, I said, if you don't have a morning routine that's healthy, you're going to be depressed no matter when you get on the scale. But if you have a morning routine that's healthy, then you're going to make some progress. And he goes, so what does that look like? And I said, so here, here it is. So I'm just going to warn your listeners, just buckle your seatbelt for a second. So here's your, here's your morning rhythm. Get up, go to the bathroom, number one, number two, try both, <laughs> and then get on the scale. Same time every day. Have a spreadsheet on the wall in front of you. Oh my gosh, and your goal every day might be to lose 0.2. Okay, so, so what would happen if seven days at 0.2, you would lose 1.4? What would happen? And he goes, I would feel better. I said, the only number that matters is not the number in front of the, the decimal point on your scale. It is the number afterwards. And when that thing goes down far enough, then the number in front goes down. But if all you're focused on is the number in front and you don't have the micro victories, mm. you're going to feel this way. And he goes, so what should I do after I do that? And I said, change your intake. And he goes, what does that mean? I said, I'm not going to ask you to like, get rid of the latte, but I'm going to tell you there's a different way to consume 1,100 <clears> plus <throat> calories. And I said, you know, the donuts, I mean, he, <laughs> how many do you get? He said, two every day. <laughs> And it's like the custard filled one. It's just like heart attack. Yeah. So good though. <laughs> so I said, I said, why don't you just get rid of one of the two donuts? Just try that for a month. Yeah. And then, you know, get rid of the other half of the one you keep, you know, and then change everything. And so I write about this and I said, would you do that? If you do that, I will call you once a week to check in. He goes, seriously? Oh, wow. I said, yeah, but the first week you go up, I'm done. So in six months, he lost 47 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Hey, motivator. It's small wins, right? It's, it's all, noticing. Micro victories are the key to life. Hmm. Micro victories. You, you, don't, you don't get wealthy in a day. You get wealthy daily. You don't hmm. lose weight in a day. You know, you don't lose all your weight and get your per You do that daily. You can't tell your wife once a month, baby, I love you so much in 29 <laughs> days, not layer love on her. Or vice right. versa. Yep. You can't do yep. that. You can't, you can't not make sales calls if you're in selling and, and then like try to make up for it at the end of the, the month. You cannot go to the gym one day for seven hours because you missed four sessions, you know, at an hour and a half each. You can't do it. Micro victories are the key. Compounding is the key. It's like, it's like the you talk about the psychology of winning. It's micro victories. That's all it is. That's, you just layer is. the victory on top of the victory on top of the victory. And pretty soon you have a new habit. You and, know, James Clear in Atomic Habits talk, 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 calls this habit stacking. Mm -hmm. When you have it stacked the right way, you learn new behaviors that somewhere between 66 days and 264 days become habits. Yep. And I mean, the, the physiology there is fascinating too. Like if you have the smallest, tiniest thing that you can do that you can call in and feel the victory in, your hormones will reinforce that. It'll layer down in your brain. And then when you do it again, oh my gosh, deeper. And then, oh my gosh, deeper. And now it actually, the hormones will help you get that next win, right? It's, it's a crazy, uh, crazy cool biological drive yeah. there. It goes back to the top of our conversation, right? The thread weaving through all of this is, is repeated Repeat. truth. And repeated trust in in yourself, your brain 
right? In essence, it sounds funny. Your brain starts to trust you as well, right? There, there's because there there are pathways being, being laid down, yeah. right? And uh, that that creates something that when you do fall or when you do uh, you know break your habit or you do um, you know fall back into the old routine, there's something in your brain that goes, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. Let right? me remind you, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you've become more the person that is trustworthy than the person who fails. And of course, there are exceptions, right? There, there's addiction, which is which is a whole different podcast and conversation. Okay. I wanted to emphasize just how powerful that, that idea of small wins, habit stacking, creates that trust, even physiologically inside your brain. Todd Duncan, where can where can our listeners find out more about who you are, what you do, and uh, reach out to you? So social handle is Todd Duncan official on all channels and platforms. So that'd be one way to do it. Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Facebook, Todd Duncan official, and then toddduncan.com. Uh, you can come there and see all that we do and, uh, yeah, and hang out. Be fun. Awesome. So, so grateful to you. Um, thank you. I, I am personally touched. I am so thrilled for our listeners. Um, we will, we'll be in touch yeah. very soon. We'll talk soon. Right. You guys are awesome. And, uh, Good to share your platform and make a difference. Talk soon. Appreciate you. Be well. Bye. You already know The Fearless Year is a podcast, but it's also a community of people looking to live more fearless lives just like you. The Fearless Year pod course is an on-demand resource built around our biggest learnings from the topics covered on the podcast. Each chapter includes additional tools, commentary, downloads, and prompts to further your own fearless journey. You'll also get free access to the Acuity 360-degree self-awareness app on iOS or Android. Finally, subscribing to the pod course also means that every month you will get a hard copy fearless bullet journal in your physical mailbox. This bullet journal has one month of planning pages to chart your day, do personal reflections, respond to challenges from the fearless year, chart your personal growth, and customize it to fit your productivity style. Check out all the levels and details at myfearlessyear.com. Again, check it out at myfearlessyear.com.